Good morning, this is Radio Shalom coming to you through Planet FM 104.6. Shalom, Rabbi Altshul. Shalom, Uvacha, John. Well, I'm delighted to welcome back Rabbi Altshul. And we're going to continue talking about the Jewish life cycle and the excitement when it comes up to the time of the wedding. And I'm just asking the rabbi, do we believe that marriages are made in heaven? Well, Joan, um, it depends on, on from which side of the wedding contract you're looking. <laughs> no, it's a firm belief that God has his, his, his um, shlichim, his emissaries, angels, that he gets to do most tasks. But there are two tasks which uh, the Gemara tells us that God looks after himself. And that is distributing water to the world. And it is finding matches. Sometimes they use human instruments, you know, matchmakers and that kind of thing. So yeah, that's where the shatchan fits in. That's where the shatchan uh, <laughs> fits in. But, but no, generally it's thought that God looks after finding your bashild. You're your, the one and only. Your significant other. Significant other, <laughs> absolutely. And what if things go wrong? Who do you blame? Well... It's the angel made a mistake. No, because no, as I said, it's not the angels who makes the matches. It's it's the God Himself who makes the matches. That we firmly believe. Who, who's to blame? Well, I think a lot of people, when it comes to marriage, looks as it of as it's you know. Very often, when young people get into it, they're intoxicated by infatuation and other things, and they don't really realize that a good marriage is hard work, and. It's a give and take. It's one where you have to give everything of yourself and not expect to be taking too much out, but contributing to the unit that it is and when a family comes about. Um, and it's hard work. You know, it, it, you can't just go on the happy uh, feeling of being in love and being infatuated and gosh, she's, she's mm. beautiful and wow, he's dapper, handsome. You know, there's much more to marriage. Marriage is quite an art and I think often when it goes wrong, it's because we're neglecting it. We're, there are so many things taking our attention in the world and, and, um, and then sometimes it's just, you know, accidents happen even, you know, and we learn something from that. But if you're both contributing, but when one contributes more than the other, then it's imbalance. But, but Joan, um, everybody, how, how do you weigh those things, right? Do you take out a measure and stick and start saying, I gave 30 centimetres, now you give 30 meter, centimetres. What if, what if the party, other party has only 28 centimetres to give in this or let's say in kilos and grams? We can't quantify but we have to say that there's a lot about emotions and how mm. people perceive it and feel it. And I think this is one of the important things of marriage, like with all human relations, is communications. You've got to talk about it. Don't let the sun go down on your problems. Don't let it set. Talk about it. Don't be angry or anything else because you receive some criticism. Criticism is very often a way that can help you grow and to become stronger in a relationship together, not as separate entities. But you're right, there are discrepancies. 
we weren't made perfect. I'm sorry. <laughs> and 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 the mm. we bring our imperfections mm. with us into marriage. The intent from God's mm. side might be good, but we bring our imperfections with us, and that might be what sometimes mucks up the the whole picture. I think if both parties wanted to succeed and they're willing to do a give and take, you rub along quite happily. But if sometimes relationships break down just because somebody is not willing or wants control over the other one, yeah, then yeah. it's then it's more difficult. You're yes. right, you're right. It, it is, but that's why relationships are so yeah. difficult. It's not easy. You know, the perfect marriage probably doesn't exist, but you can work on it, and it's a lifetime achievement. It is a lifetime achievement. It is. That's it. That's so if you remain with one husband. I was talking to a group of people and everybody had two or three husbands. You know, oh, you? dear. <laughs> Only had one. <laughs> well, I'm not, I'm not going to be facetious, but I guess that says more about them than it says about you, Joan. <laughs> okay, so marriage is... Made in heaven, but because we have free will and because we're human, mistakes happen. Yeah. And, okay, so when a couple decide, and I think in a Jewish marriage, it's not just the couple who are married. The the families get involved willy-nilly. Yes, I mean, uh, such a thing, uh, Jewish shotguns weddings are really, really rare. Uh, that the kids run away and elope and get married also uh, is, is also quite rare. You know, Jewish weddings, they take a bit of preparation. Uh, I certainly encourage people to come and have some counselling before they go into it. Um, that I demand as a, a part of, of um, the whole marriage preparation so that they're aware so that you address some of the issues that they might not have thought about it depends on who they are where they are but you sit down and talk to them so is this part of something you offer if you yes, know, when absolutely. People absolutely. come to you to say they want to get married. You say, "Listen, my children, sit down and out." Exactly. <laughs> Maybe not in that way, but you know, I say uh, we need we need some chatting, um, and that's normal. Effective conversations. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> um, but well, obviously, the young couple has to decide for a date. Um, in previous times, you would have. Uh, things such as patrol, uh, which took place uh, years before the marriage or a year before, and they were technically as married. We still do it in some communities, not in all communities. What? Um, um, uh, a patrol. Uh, sort of engagement. Engagement, engagement right. yes. Engagement. And um, that's done in some parties, in, the, in, in, in some communities, mm-hmm. uh, but not in all. And it's, it's not so costly. The more observant people are generally they more tend to um to observe those things uh, you know in yes yesteryear bride and groom didn't live together before they got married uh they yeah. <laughs> they, they started living together after the the, the chuppah in fact you uh, didn't leave home <laughs> well probably not unless you had a job but so so that has changed a little bit you know um in many religious communities, people still don't live together, and they they meet either through friends or through a shadchan, you know, like a matchmaker. Uh, they go out for a cup of coffee, uh, two cups of coffee, three cups of coffee, and by the fourth cup of coffee, normally either you know that it's a dud or you know that this is a go, and then then they, they embark on 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 the journey. Um, 
see. At what stage do do they approach you? Oh, that can be any given stage mm. during the whole course of, of wedding preparations. I mean, one would hope that they would secure that the rabbi is available to do <laughs> the ritual and help them through it so that they would give me at least a couple of days mm. warning. Uh, generally, I know six months in advance, or two months in advance. So do rabbis automatically be uh, sanctioned to perform marriages in a legal way for the, whichever country they're no, in? Or no, do they not have- at all. You have to apply for that. Um, you have to be a uh, what's called a uh, religious marriage celebrant in New Zealand. So you have to be registered. You have to be. Do registered. they give you a test or something? No, they don't. They no. generally allow us to conduct um, the w- wedding ceremony according to our traditions mm. and faith, and then on the side we do the New Zealand. Uh, statutory mm. uh, wedding ceremony. Well, it's not really a ceremony, but you ask whether so and so will take so and so, and there's a whole dialogue which is written down and which you have to do. And some people want it as part of their Jewish wedding ritual, right. and others prefer to do it in the office beforehand because technically right. what goes on is a bit of paper signing, uh, marriage certificates, and yeah. things, and that needs to be done beforehand. So that's one of the technicalities. So they're actually married legally before they come to be married spiritually. Well, um, or it can be. That, that's that's a discussion because according to Jewish law, a civil marriage contract is null and void. I mean, that's we do because we honour New Zealand law. Right. It, it's not uh, a necessity from our point of view. But the second that the ketubah has been signed mm-hmm. by the two witnesses, which we'll get to in a moment, I hope. Um, uh, then the groom is married and and uh, the bride when she accepts the ring. So uh, that's that's sort of the story. Um, you have to understand that a Jewish wedding, Jewish marriage, is a legal contract. It's not a spiritual contract. It's a legal contract. It's at the ketubah. Uh, Jewish marriage is a legal function. It's not in the way that... It, it, it's not per se. We ask for God's blessings also... But per se, the Kitubah is certainly a very, very legal document. Uh, so perhaps you could explain about All right, so let's when, take when it. Does the, that, when does that come in? Well, generally, the way, you know, many, many communities have many different customs. But generally, bride and groom should not uh, see each other the week before mm. the wedding. It's also a tradition in many communities that somebody accompany the bride and the groom um, during the week leading up to their wedding helping them with all their chores because bride and groom are like king and queen and a king and a queen they always have a boy or a lady in waiting and therefore it's also our tradition to honor them in the same way that a king and queen is honored as you know we help them with everything they need help with and carry their bags on the street and this and that so that's a beautiful custom now the the on on the wedding day itself it's tradition to fast because um, bride and groom are considering starting a whole new life when they unify under the chuppah. And as nobody should have to atone for anybody else's sins, um, it's counted as a personal Yom Kippur. And therefore, very often, bride and groom do not mm. eat. That's also why they very often dress in white. The, 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 the groom in, in, in the kittle uh, that is worn mm. normally only for your main or even for the high holidays... And, and, and all of that. 
they'll arrive at the shul. In some communities, it's um, popular that the Hassan has a tish beforehand. That means that people can come and, you know, congratulate, and he gives a little word of Torah and maybe uh, pours out a little bit of whiskey for everybody coming, and they can say, Lechaim, of course, he's not imbibing anything at this time because he's fasting. Then comes the... Um, signing of the Kitubah. Now, what's a Kitubah? Kitubah is basically a document conceived in Aramaic. It's around 2100 years old in which it states that um, the groom so-and-so takes the bride so-and-so uh, for a uh, specific dowry and he promises that he will look after her in all possible ways, i.e. he will put clothes on her body, food on her table, roof over her head. It even states that he has to satisfy her in the familiar way. Now, this is a 2100-year-old contract. It says that he has to make her happy, not only when she's at the table, but also when she's in the bedroom. It's very interesting that they conceive that. But the whole, the Gomorrah has a whole thing, for example, if a man is a camel trader or he goes with the caravans, how often uh, does he have to, um, to have uh, conjugal uh, visits with his wife and so forth? And how much he can, can she demand uh, from him to perform? Uh, so it's, it's a, that's a two-way street. You know, a man cannot deny his wife conjugal rights, neither can a woman deny her husband as long as they live according to the, the family purity laws. Now, of course... Previous to the signing of the contract, we'll have all these discussions. The bride will have gone to the mikvah uh, uh, to purify herself. The groom will sometimes also go to the mikvah to the ritual bath to purify himself in the morning before. Um, that's a very beautiful way, sort of saying, this is a new beginning and, and we start all over. The kitubah is not signed by the groom himself. Poor man. Um, he is... The, the, the Kitubah is read out to him and translated into any language that he may speak or understand. And when he recognizes that he understands that, he sh- gives a sign by lifting up something. The rabbi very often gives him a handkerchief. I always run around with handkerchiefs, you know. Mm-hmm. Lift up the handkerchief to show that you've understood. Lift it up over, over your shoulders. Mm-hmm. And he does. And then there has to be two witnesses. And the witnesses sign on the groom's behalf. Now, they are the guarantors that the said groom will be able to perform as according to the contract. That ends the whole deal for the groom. He has basically, his deed is signed, he has recognized to take upon himself the obligations which are stipulated in the contract, the kitubah, and it's now done for him. Now, what then happens is that he will take his place under the chuppah, or he will walk in while being sung in, sing a hymn, Baruch Haba, mm-hmm. uh, beautiful songs. Uh, he walks up, stands on the chuppah, and then, of course, the bride joins the company. But, but just before all of this is what is called the bedeken. Do you remember the story of uh, Jacob and Laban? Mm-hmm. So uh, Lavan, Lavan had two daughters and Jacob loved the, the younger one. But he got cheated on the oh, wedding no. night and, 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 and got, the, got the senior one. And um, because of that, we say that the groom is entitled to cover his bride so that he's sure that whoever's under the cover, the deacon, is, right. is the right 
Right. So, so the veil has to be lifted. He he put no. He he veils her. She is. Uh, he, she ov- obviously sits somewhere just close to the chuppah, and he will put the veil over her, and then he'll proceed going in, and then she will join after him, and she will be sung in as well. Now there are many traditions about encircling. Uh, there are some communities that do it. Some communities then don't. Mm. Some communities do it three times. Seven. Some community does seven, seven times. times. Uh, the encircling uh, mm. is just like um, the the um, the circling of the moon around the earth uh, or anything else. But it symbolizes the creation of a new universe, of a new world. The groom seven. told my niece that it was like a lion circling her prey. <laughs> <laughs> Poor man. <laughs> Good one. Um, and therefore, th- th- there are there are many reasons to to these things. There are a lot of things. I've written whole books about rituals and their and their origins. Um, some explanations are beautiful, some are not so good, and so forth. But it's uh, the seven uh, rounds are to symbolize the seven so days of creation. So what is the chuppah and the canopy? So, so the chuppah, which is over, which can be made out of basically anything, you know, a piece of cloth. Very often uh, a talit will be used, or extended on four mm-hmm. poles. Uh, other places have illustrious chuppot, beautiful with uh, embroidery and everything else. The, the chuppah symbolizes the new home. But just as the tent of Avraham Avinu, of, uh, of Abraham, it is open on all four sides. As a Jewish home should be, it should be open to the strangers, to uh, the needy, to all those who are looking for shelter. shelter. Exactly. And that is what we wish for them. We wish that they're building. So symbolically, they are wishing, oh, they're, they're building a, a new home. Under the Chuppah first, um, we have... The Misadeh Kedushin is very often the rabbi. But a Misadeh Kedushin, the guy who, the person who conducts the ceremony, can basically be any observant Jew over the age of 13. He should have some knowledge of the laws because there are quite a few mistakes you can make uh, during a uh, wedding ceremony. And of course, there are written pages after pages after pages in the Shulchan Oruch and other books about what to do and what, certainly what not to do, what to say and what not to say. Um, first we have the sanctifications um, and the first cup is served to them and they are uh, bride and groom are uh, blessed and we say the special bracha and then the groom presents the bride with the ring now, what's in the ring ceremony? Um, the ring has to be preferably smooth and round so that it will be symbolical mm. of a smooth and round life. Uh, not referring to the beginning of our conversation. <laughs> but it's our wish that it should be. And only the groom gives the bride a ring because that is really part of the dowry. The value of the ring, it has to be a valuable ring, but the value is set at one pruta. What's, how much is one pruta? Prota is the price of a washer in Bonnings. You know, <laughs> simple. So, you know, he can get away with it pretty easily. Mm. But still, he, he, the, the ring is held up and presented to the two witnesses. 
and they can say, yep, it's a nice ring, you know, it looks like it's worth a puta, it will be acceptable. And he gives it to her and he puts it on her uh, right index finger. No, yeah, index, right? Right. Yes. And she will hold on to it for the rest of the ceremony. In some communities, the custom is to move it from the index finger and put it on the ring finger as the bride's acceptance of the marriage. Mm. But from when, when she takes this, the, the ring, she's, she's in it as well. Right. And then he says, uh, he says uh, the famous words, Behold, mm. with this ring I, uh, I, I sanctify you to me according to the laws of Moses and Israel. Mm. And that is basically the part. But then we need to publicize the contract. So this is the time where the Kitubah will read. Very often a rabbi will speak. And then after that we have what is known as the Sheva Barchot. Sheva is seven blessings said over bride and groom. These can be said either by the Mesotea Kiddushin, the officiating person, or it can be said by seven different people um, that are connected. But again, it should preferably be said by somebody who is (laughs) observant. And that really um, ends it all. Um, and then we have some, some, some additional, something that people always remember. What about the crushing of the glass? Yes. yes. We have to remember, there is, there is a, a verse which um, says that if, if I do not put Jerusalem over all my joy, uh, the whole verse goes... Uh, if I forget you, Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its cunning. If I do not put you, let my tongue cling to the pallet. Um, if I do, my mouth. I, 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 yes. If I do not put you over my highest joy, uh, then uh, let me wither and go away. And the thing is, well, Jerusalem looks pretty beautiful. When I was there in April, it's, it's coming along quite nicely. Uh, but still, something is lacking. It's not... To Jerusalem of splendor that once was in, in the kingdom of David um, and therefore we add just that little little bit of bitterness in the cup in, even at the top of our joy we remember that Jerusalem was destroyed mm-hmm. Jerusalem was destroyed because we as human beings couldn't get along mm-hmm. Jerusalem was destroyed for our uh, bad deeds and we crush the glass, and everybody screams from the off. And hopefully the groom won't get any glass in his foot. <laughs> that has happened, unfortunately. Um, and then the wedding is not yet over, because there is one last thing. Uh, remember, they've been fasting. And after that, they go into the, what's called the Chedechut, the room of unity. This was when, in previous years, very often, the uh, marriage would be consummated. As it's there and then. There and then, <laughs> absolutely. No, no, no room for anxiety. Um, these days, it most of the time gives the bride and groom just uh, five to ten minutes mm-hmm. to sort of get over the ceremony, get a little bit to eat. Uh, there's often fruit served, which they haven't eaten, so they can say the special blessing of uh, thank you to God for have bringing us to this time. Um, and they will just get reacquainted with each other before they mm. face the crowd. Now, this is all based on the Gemara says that there are three ways of getting married. Either by contract, the kitubah, either by money, the ring, 
or by going into a room alone and having two witnesses. So outside the Chedayichud, there are two officers standing guard. They're the witnesses that they're alone in there. And in the modern Jewish wedding ritual, we combine all three of them. It used to be that either one of these would qualify. But just to make sure, we put them all three together in one ritual. And that's the ritual that we conduct today. Uh, and that's a beautiful thing. And then, of course, uh, they face the crowd. And uh, that's when the dancing begins, eh? And when they sit on the chairs and hold a handkerchief and they... Yeah, they, they luckily, if they're not very big, their friends can lift them up in their chairs. <laughs> no, but just think back to what I said at the beginning mm. about having a valet, somebody walking with you. The whole sitting on chairs and being lifted on chairs. Who gets lifted ah, on chairs? Right. Kings and queens. Right. Right? They used to be carried around on their chairs because they were... Well, they shouldn't, they shouldn't touch the dirt. So, so the same, that's why we lift up bride and groom as well. And the holding of the handkerchief? The holding of the handkerchief is... is it to uh, show they're linked? Well, the, the holding of the handkerchief is basically something about snoot. It's something about modesty. That in, in, in the more religious circles, you're not supposed to touch in public, uh, man and wife, you know. That's something... Uh, that's designated for the private realm. Um, and also when dancing with others, that's why you have that cord in between that you don't really hold hands. But you know, I've seen people hold hands as well. And, and we have five minutes, Rabbi. So what if things don't work out? How, how do you... How well, does of it course they end? work out. Of course, they, it doesn't end. It should, be, so it should be happily married forever after. But, but it happens. So do we have rituals that go with ending a marriage as well? Yes, we do. As a matter of fact, we're very ritual people. <laughs> Somehow I had that in brief. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. The, the, uh, of course, if uh, irreconcilable differences occur, as they do in human lives, and, and people need to get divorced, then they need to go through the process of getting a get. Now, the get is, again, a document, just like the Kituban, which uh, the husband has to command being written. Uh, it has to be written on a piece of paper, but with a quill using the traditional uh, writing style. So very often he commands a sofer to do it for him. He makes a, 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 a shlich out of him, a, an emissary out of him, and then he issues the divorce document, which is then delivered to the wife um, in a small ceremony. Uh, again, it's all very ceremonial, but it's more private, the, the kitin. And generally also you try to do counseling before they um, get that fund, before they, um, they, they issue the get. You, they, need, they need to be agreeing on things, and, and they, they aren't always, obviously. Sometimes there's quite a, a, a road to travel before you get to that. The do, ma- do people actually come to the rabbi and say, look, we're having problems, and are you expected to be a marriage counsellor? And if you are, what training do you have to be a marriage counsellor? Well, obviously I'm a marriage counsellor and people do come to me, I mean, on a regular basis. Uh, family counselling, marriage counselling. Um, Is that part of your training as a rabbi? Absolutely not. That's, that's training that has come secondary, which I've studied uh, at Monash in, in Australia. And, and um, no, rabbinical studies, at least not um, orthodox ones, there is not much uh, of, 
that. So there will be some, but depending on where you study and how you study. So uh, I think it's a very important part. Absolutely. Human a relations. Lot of, uh, no, but, but the rabbi is the first port of call for a lot of people mm. when they have problems. And then it's for the rabbi to figure out where to send them. So, uh, you know, I, know, I definitely know my limitations. And, and if I see that it's something that's greater than what I can deal with, then I will pass them on to a proper professional marriage counselor, for example. Um, but the idea is to try and retrieve. You, you try to, mm-hmm. to do some, see if you can, you can repair it or if it can be worked on. Um, Particularly if there's children involved. Absolutely, but it doesn't matter. It, uh, wedding, a marriage is a marriage. Um, that being said, if that's not well, then we accept that at the end of things you can get married. Oh, sorry, you can't get you can get divorced, uh, and it's very important to get a Jewish divorce. If some if if a um, couple are married, and for example, the wife would want to remarry, she can't remarry without a get if she's been previously married. And that's a problem that some men keep their women, mm-hmm. their, their ex-wives captives because they don't want to issue with them get. Mm-hmm. And that is a very, very bad and naughty thing to do. And the rabbis, as a matter of fact, have a quite strong mandate to mm-hmm. convince the man, recalcitrant man, to issue the get to the wife so she's set free. If, not, if she's not set free, she's what's called a captive wife, an aguna. And that happens, unfortunately, in some cases. Um, so what are her rights? Well, basically, her, her, what do you mean her rights? Well, if she doesn't get uh, a divorce, divorce, well, then she can't get married uh, mm-hmm. Jewish again. And if she should go on and have any more children, they are considered mm-hmm. as the children of a illicit... Oh, a little bit of unfairness. But nevertheless, I'm sure that it's being remedied. <laughs> we try, we try. <laughs> Thank you very much, Rabbi. Pleasure. And... Uh, We will have another session on continuing life cycle. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to listen next Sunday at 10 past 10. And if you've missed the program on www.planetaudio.org.nz forward slash Radio Shalom.